truth is authoritative. It is established by God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Thousands were being added to the church daily. Why? Because they saw this community that existed that was unlike anything that the world had. And 2,000 years later, I'm telling you, the world still doesn't have what the church can have. The Body of Christ. For 2,000 years, theologians have pondered the meaning of that phrase. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It is the incredible gift of one. The Body of Christ. What does it mean in our lives in relationship to God and in our relationship to others who make up this body? Colossians 3.16, teach one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, comfort one another. Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another. Romans 15.5, be of the same mind with one another. One another, one another, one another, one another, one another. It's the incredible gift of one to another. The Body of Christ. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul states, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Throughout the history of the church, it is the unity and love shared among individual believers that has given power to the church. Today, has the church lost its understanding of what it means to say we are one body? Well, today on Crosswalk, Pastor Clay walks us through the scriptures as we explore that question and discover the power of one and the incredible gift God has given us. We're glad you've joined us for this week's message in our continuing series, The Truth Project. A lot of different ideas, a lot of different um, opinions about uh, what people think uh, church is. And, and you know what I've discovered in whatever the topic is that you, that you talk about, there's never a shortage of opinions. But we don't need opinions, we need truth. Today, we're going to find that truth in Romans chapter 12. And if you brought a a Bible with you, you can turn there right now. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. We're going to walk through uh, this wonderful chapter in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And then uh, talk about this idea of what it means for me to be in relationship with you. And what it means for you to be in relationship with the person beside you or behind you or, or any person that's in relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether they're sitting right next to you this morning or whether they're 18,000 miles away or however far Randy said it was. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore, and that's because leading up to the things that he said prior to that. Therefore, I urge you. Brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. Urge can also be translated as plead. Uh, Some translations even have, I beg you to do this. It really exposes Paul's heart and his desire to see the church in Rome really, uh, really get a hold of this thing. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by or because of the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have a sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 through 5 brings out what I see in there, the, the, my, my BP squared this week, my, my big picture biblical principle uh, is simply this. It looks just, just like this. God has given the church the incredible gift of one. I want you to think about that for just a moment. God has given the church the incredible gift of one. Now, this is part of that mystery that I, that I spoke of a moment ago. This idea uh, that Paul begins to bring up here. We'll go back to 1 through 3 in just a moment. We'll get into that. But in, in verse 4 or verse 5, this idea that he says we are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And individually members one of another. See, I, I think that is so foreign to the culture in which we live today. In verse 4, Paul actually gives us an analogy, an example. He says, for just as we have many members in one body, and he's talking about your literal physical bodies, just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. He basically repeats the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, he goes into even greater detail about the body. But in verse 20, he says, but now there are many members, but one body. And he's talking about your literal physical body. In other words, Paul says, he says, hey, listen to me. It's, it's, it's like this. And, and if you read there on into Romans 12, and if you read there in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, in the context, Paul is about to begin to give them some of the spiritual gifts that they have. And, and Paul's fully aware that when we start talking about the gifts and the abilities that we have, that it's easy for jealousies to arise and uncertainties and arguments and all this kind of stuff. But, but he says, you know, think of it this way. He said, it's kind of like your body. He says, your body has, has so many different parts. You know, you, you've got hands and, and you've got feet and you've got eyes and ears and heart and, and lungs. And you've got all these, these different parts. And the different parts may perform different functions. But, in essence, he's saying, but they all have the same purpose. And the purpose of those body parts is the good of the body. The, the health, the, the vitality of the body, that that's, that's the purpose of them, to be able to accomplish things through the body. The, the, the hand is, is not the heart, the, the foot is, is not the eye. They're not the same, and yet they're all one. They're part of one. And not only are they part of one, they want to be part of one. It's not like, you know, my, you know, my four fingers are, are ganging up on the thumb and say, well, that guy, he just hangs around and he gets all the glory when stuff goes right or whatever. We don't even need that guy. They actually like each other, if I can use that term. They actually want to be together. No, oh, let's throw the lungs out. Oh, no, we can't do that. <laughs> There's this, Paul says it's kind of like that. He says, think of it as like your body. 
this, this thing that, that all these different parts and they come together and, and they're all necessary and, and you need all these things in your life. Now listen to me, folks. Listen to me about this. I'm not just trying to fill up time here. It'll go faster than I want it to anyway. It's important. God wants us to understand this principle. He, that's what, he brings it up in Romans 12. It comes up in 1 Corinthians. Peter brings it up again. It, this is important. If you were here last week, you may, do you remember Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17? He says it in verse 11. He says it in verse 21. He says it in verse 22. repeats virtually the same phrase. That they may be what? What? One more time. What? That they may be one even as we are. As he's praying to the Father and he's getting ready to go to the cross. We talked about that last week. But the Jesus prayer in that hour is, Father, I'm praying that they may be one like we are one. That is an amazing, amazing concept. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gets into this again in Ephesians chapter 4 to the church in Ephesus. Watch this. Be diligent to preserve the unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. See, Paul's hung around church folks long enough. <laughs> he knows how that can go. He knows how quickly unity and peace can go right out the window. And he says, be diligent. He says, you're going to have to work at this because we're all us. (laughs) Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Watch this. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It is the incredible gift of one that God has given to you and me. Now, it, let me say this, I'm conscious of the fact that it's one thing to know it. You can read it in scripture, It's, it's one thing to know it, it's another thing to show it. It's one thing uh, to know it positionally. Positionally, I know that I am one in Christ and, and that we are one. Positionally, I know that. Practically, how am I doing in that area? Am I living as one in my relationship with my, with my brother James? or, or with anybody? Am, 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 How is that going? I want to help you and help me this morning with that in our remaining time and real quickly, as quickly as I can, give you five steps to being one in the body of Christ or understanding what it is and actually applying it. As I said, not just knowing it, but showing it. Not just positionally, but practically. Five steps. And and I would even say that for the most part, I would say these steps are progressive. Five steps. Here's the first one. Intention. First step, intention. Now watch how Paul ties this in, how how I believe he's tying it into what he then brings up in verse 4 and 5. Therefore, I urge you, brethren... By the mercies or because of the mercies, in other words, because of what God has done for you, here's what I want you to do, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Paul says, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to present, present your bodies. The Greek word is peristestai. It is a a present uh, active verb. You need to right now continually present your bodies or your life. In other words, your life, yourself. You're just laying this down. Present yourself. But notice what Paul says. You have to be intentional. You have to do this. You have to make up your mind that this is what I'm going to do. I am presenting myself to the Lord God. Listen, if you don't get intention, all the rest of it doesn't mean anything. 
If you're not willing to say, this is what I must do with my life. That's why Paul says, man, I'm begging you to do this. Because Paul wants him, wants him to have it. He wants the Romans and everybody else, he wants them to have it. The fullness in Christ that they, were, that they were made to have, that you and I were to enjoy in our lives right now. Paul says, I'm begging you, do this. Present yourselves, present your body. You've got to have intention. If you don't have it, you say, well, God, I haven't really burdened me about that yet. Maybe I need to pray about that some more. No, you just need to be obedient and be intentional about what you're going to do. Paul says intention. So n- number one is intention. Um, second idea this morning, correction. Now watch what he says. Present your body. That's an intentional decision on my part. I'm going to do this. First, first part of verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Present your body, Clay, present your body to God and do not conform to the image of this world. Do not, uh, do not uh, take on the pattern or the, the figure of the world. In other words, the world's idea of how you do it or how you do life or what is done. He says, don't do that. The Phillips translation translates it like this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. You see what Paul's saying? He says, you've got to make a course correction here. There's got to be a change in your life because, can I tell you this, prior to giving my life to Christ, man, I did what I wanted to do. I did what my flesh wanted. I, I, I acted the way I wanted to act, and it didn't, I didn't care about others. It didn't matter. It was, it was about me, and Paul says, no, you're in Christ now. There's got to be a course correction. You have to present your body to God, and you have to turn. There's a new course correction going on. You can't go the way of the world anymore. You can't let the world decide for you the kind of the, the, the kind of father you're supposed to be or the, the kind of husband or wife you're supposed to be or, or the kind of worker you're supposed to be. You, you, you've got to do it the way God instructs you uh, to do it. So there has to be some correction in your life going on, a, a change in direction. So I've got to have intention. I've got to make a correction. Third one looks like this, direction and more particularly a new direction. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. But be, don't be conformed, correction, but be transformed. There's your direction. There's direction you need to know. Uh, Some of you have seen this before. The word direction or uh, transformed is metaphorical. Metamorphose in this particular instance, as you could probably guess, the same word metamorphosis comes from the same Greek root word. It is a, it is a complete a changing, but, but it's a changing. This is, this is important. It is, if I remember right, an aorist passive verb. Now, here's what that means. It means that it's a, it's a change that takes place inside of me. It's, it's not about, you know, putting on the Christian look. It's about a change that takes place inside of me as the power of the Holy Spirit works in and through me to bring this change. It's a change that occurs in me as my responsibility, intentionally present myself. Stop going the way of the world and then allow God, through the power of his word, to bring change into my life. And can I tell you this? And, and, and I, maybe, maybe you can relate to this. I meet so many people, I've talked to so many people through the years who try to be a good Christian. 
They try to do the Christian thing. They try to act the right way, say the right thing, do the right thing, have the right look. I've got to be a Christian. Can I tell you this? Most of them end up frustrated in their faith, burnt out, and, and walking away if they can from any semblance of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because, they're, because they, they work at this thing and they try and be a good Christian. And they try to do the stuff and they try and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And they just can't seem to get it. If you can relate to that, then I want you to listen very carefully to the next statement I'm going to make. God doesn't want you to get it. Do you hear me? God doesn't want you to get it. God wants you to let it. God wants you to let His power and His Word bring change into your life. He wants you to stop trying to be a Christian and just allow His Spirit to bring change into your life as you surrender yourself to Him. This is not about me doing the right thing. This is about me surrendering my life to Him and Him bringing the changes in my life. As I just say, God, I'm laying it all down. I'm just here and you bring the changes in my life that you desire to bring. You do this work. Lord God, and he takes his word and he works in our hearts and our lives and he stirs us and he corrects us and he changes us. It's, it's not about getting it. I, I got to get this thing. No, you got to let this thing. You got to let Christ work in your life. Fourth step, and this was, you might almost look at it as like sort of the pause in the midst of these steps. It's, it's inspection. In verse 3, he says, for Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. He's leading up to where he's going to share about about spiritual gifts. But I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. You may consider this a blanket statement, but I'm going to make it anyway. All of us think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. It is within us, it is certainly is within our nature. I am of the, the conviction that all sin is rooted in the sin of pride. And as I explained many times, by pride I don't just mean, you know, woohoo, look at me. That's not what I mean by pride. Some of the most prideful people I've ever met are people that might not ever get up on a stage or might not ever get in front of people. But by pride, what Scripture is talking about is that it becomes about me. Oh, I, I can't do that. Oh, I, I, could, I could never, you know, do that for God. Oh, I could, I could what, what would happen if this? Or, or I would have to do this. Or Paul says, man, you, you better inspect your life. Along the way, along those steps, you better stop and inspect your life. And, can, and by the way, it's not a one-time thing. It's a continual inspection of my life. God, how am I doing at it today? And honestly, evaluate. Hey, can, can I give you a warning about that as well? Be careful that your pride, the thing that you're inspecting, doesn't skew your results. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, let's see. Okay, I'm uh, a little weak in this area. Okay, maybe I, you know, this or what. Oh, but Floyd, that guy. (laughs) God, see, I'm not doing so bad. You know, the tendency will be to look around at somebody else and find somebody that's not quite as good at something as I am. No, this is, this is getting honest with ourselves. Hey, and honest with each other, as we'll see in just a second. Honest with ourselves and saying, man, I'm struggling in this area. And I'm, fall, I, 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 I'm, I'm lousy. 
in this part of my walk with Christ. Inspecting our lives. And then the last step, as I see it here, is in verses 4 and 5, and that is connection. Remember, he's talking about one, one, one. Brings it up in, in Ephesus. Jesus talks about it in John chapter 17, over and over again in Scripture, one. It's the connection in verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the, the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and look at this, and individually members one of another. That is amazing to me. There is a connection, a union between us as, as believers in Christ that is unlike anything else that the world has to offer. When we get it right, it's unlike anything else the world has to offer. Now, real quickly, uh, time's about gone from us here. Real quickly, let me give you, uh, and you can, if you want to jot these down, if you, ever, you can jot these down. I'm just going to go through them fairly quickly. But I want to give you just from Scripture that uh, Dr. Tackett brings out this week in the Truth Project. I, I wanted to steal some of that from him and show it to you. Just some of the ways that you and I should be, ought to be connected. In 1 Peter 1.22, he says, love one another. I know some of you perhaps can't read that. It's a little small, but he has a lot, a lot of those listed there on a couple of pages. 1 Peter 1.22, listen to me. Love one another. Now listen, he's talking about the relationship between us. Love one another. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. James 5.16, pray for one another. Ephesians 4.2, forbear one another. Some of us, you know, we need to be put up with at times. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Colossians 3.16, admonish one another. I wish I had time to stick there for a while because we don't. We don't admonish one another. We, we, don't, we don't call each other out because we, 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 don't, we, don't we don't feel like that relationship is stable enough or, or strong enough or we're secure enough in it to be able to say, hey man, what are you doing? To admonish and, well, let's just go on with it. Romans 14.19, build one another up. We tear each other down, then we build each other up. No, we, it, we, we give admonishment when we need it. We give encouragement when we need it. We build one another up, Romans 14, 19. Romans 12, 10, give preference to one another. Give preference. The idea, man, it, this, they're more important than me. This person is more important than me. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. We don't do that. We just move. We get mad and we just, I'm talking about the church. We, we just get mad and we move. There's another church somewhere. And God is not glorified in that. When you change, can I just tell you this? You change your dress because you're mad at what the preacher wore or what he spoke on or the flavor of the coffee of the day or whatever. It doesn't matter. You change your dress, that doesn't necessarily, that's not how God's glorified. When, when, never mind, it's just not time. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another. Galatians 5.13, serve one another. Romans 15.7, accept one another. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another. Colossians 3.16, teach one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, comfort one another. Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another. Romans 15.5, be of the same mind with one another. And Philippians 2.3, regard one another as more important. One another, one another, one another, one another, one another. It's the incredible gift of one to another. Now let me say this. I'm of the conviction that the church, and and by that I'm referring to churches overall, maybe. uh, I'm of the conviction that in America the church um, misses this 
idea of oneness. I've been doing ministry, vocational ministry, um, for 20 years, starting, I think, in January or February or March of next year. 20 years I've been doing vocational ministry. I've, I've been in a lot of churches. I've seen a lot of churches. I've talked to a lot of church people. And I'm just telling you what Paul describes here in Romans chapter 12 and, and these verses that we looked at, what, what Paul describes uh, is a very rare thing indeed in the church. I don't see it. Not, not like this. I, I think we're working on it. I, I think cross-culture is, is working on it. Let me get a, a plug-in real quick. I, I know I passed it, but I get a plug-in for our life groups. Again, and you're like, okay, get off that dead horse. I will when you get in a life group. Because life groups are where, perhaps there's some unity, perhaps there's some community, perhaps there's someone gathered in this room to worship God, but, it, but it's, not what, it's not what he describes here. It's not, it's not this uh, individually members one of another. What he's talking about is, is doing life together. That's what he's talking about. That's why I love the, the bookmarks that our, that our life group leaders and people hopefully give out all over the place. Kind of the motto of the life groups is, says, you know, talks about getting connected, do life together. Life is, is tough. Life is difficult. Do life together. It's this community that occurs within the body of Christ. And when it's done right, the world sits up and takes notice. Man, can I tell you this? In the first century, they weren't perfect, but in the first century, they were getting it right. You know how I know that? Because people were flocking to this church. They're flocking to be a part. Even though it was probably going to cost them their lives, cost them their families, possibly cost them their life, their, their, their entire existence. They flocked into the church. Thousands were being added to the church daily. Why? Because they saw this, this community that existed that was unlike anything that the world had. And 2,000 years later, I'm telling you, the, church, the, the world still doesn't have what the church can have when you and I come alongside each other and bear one another's burdens and encourage one another and admonish one another and love one another and support one another and on and on and on it goes. All those things the Scripture tells us to do. It is the incredible gift of one. If you're here and you're part of the body of Christ, you're part of the one. So are you part of it just positionally? Is it just something you know? Or is it part of your practice? Because of Christ, we are blood brothers and sisters adopted into the family of God. The incredible gift of one that God has given us is to be used to unite us together in a way that would cause the world to marvel. And that glorifies God. Well, it doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional about change. But when we are, we discover a connection with others that is unlike anything this world has to offer. There's a new Crosswalk lesson each week available at crosswalkonline.org and at crossculturelife.org. Visit us online and find out how you can join one of our life groups and participate in the small group study of The Truth Project. And join us next week as Pastor Clay continues this timely and life-changing series. Cross Culture Church has a new home in Raleigh. We invite you to join us for our weekly cross-culture worship with upbeat Christ-centered music and timely encouraging biblical messages celebrating the goodness of our God and what it means to be in a relationship with Him. Cross Culture Church meets Sunday mornings at 1030 in the auditorium at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture, you'll find a community of believers with the desire to be used by God to show that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for.
Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.